الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن شاء الله today we're going to be spending about uh, 60 minutes or less talking about Surah Al-Zalzal which is Surah number 99 of the Quran and um, I chose this Surah as a continuation of our discussion from previous week which was about Surah Al-Ikhlas and I feel that there's a lot of connection between ikhlas and this, this surah itself. And you'll figure out, inshallah, as we go along with it. But it's just eight ayat with profound lessons. And, you know, sometimes we as human beings, we get obsessed with so much knowledge. And so, like, reading books and attending workshops and khutbahs and lectures. And we still struggle to find... Uh, a way to take action and apply what we learn, right? And especially nowadays, we're in the age of information, information, information. Everyone's just obsessed about getting more and more knowledge about studying. And But subhanAllah, you know, a Sahabi or an, a Bedouin came to the Prophet ﷺ once and he, the Bedouin asked the Prophet ﷺ for some advice. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't give him a long one-hour lecture. All the Prophet ﷺ told him was the final two ayat of this surah. Whoever does an atom's weight of good deed will see it. And whoever does an atom's weight of evil will see it. And that's it. And the Arabi, the Bedouin, actually told the Prophet that, Ya Rasulullah, indeed these two ayat are enough for my entire life. And then the Prophet told the Sahaba that this man is a faqih. You want to see a faqih? This is the man who is a faqih. Now, did this man memorize any books of hadith? Did he attend, you know, halaqat and, uh, you know, does he have a sharia degree? No. All he understood was the final two ayat of this surah, which shows us that, you know, Quran and the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us certain lessons are, in some cases, super simple. Where you don't even need like a, a detailed translation and detailed tafsir analysis of what the ayat mean. The very clear, very simple, very clear message. But the weakness is in the insan, right? It's, it's to apply these in our lives. So this is maybe going to be the overall theme of this surah. And so if you look at the disbelievers of the time, when the, su the surah was revealed, of course it was revealed in Mecca. And during that time, this the Quraysh or the enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, they had primarily three main doubts about Islam. Number one, the doubt of the destruction of this earth, right? And the destruction of life and the fact that there's going to be an afterlife. This was a big doubt in their minds. The other doubt was the fact that every single thing, every single deed that they were uh, you know, taking action of would be recorded and they would be held accountable for. This, this, they didn't comprehend this idea that every single thing is being recorded. They didn't believe in the idea of angels writing down your deeds, the idea of having your records being preserved in this book that you will see on the Day of Judgment. And then last but not least, the other, you can call it comfort zone for the disbelievers was that even if the Day of Judgment did exist, We'll have our way out of it through our gods. The fact that we have this shafa'ah, this intercession, that our gods will intercede on our behalf. Our gods will save us. Okay? 
And so what the surah does, it, it shatters these three doubts. It confirms the reality that the day of judgment will come. The fact that this life will come to an end. The earth will shake and it will be destroyed. And then the second doubt that every single deed that we commit, every all of our records are being recorded and we will see them. Literally, we will see them on the day of judgment. And then the third doubt that every single one of us is going to be held accountable for our deeds on our own with no intercession, no gods, no bail, no ransom. Nothing can save you on that day except your deeds. Okay. So if you look at the surah also, certain, like certain words, like especially in short surahs, a tip for, for readers of Quran is look out for words that are repeated. Because in a short surah, if Allah is repeating something, there's an emphasis of this. So, very clear from the beginning, Zulzilat and Zilzal, two words that are being repeated, which literally, we'll, we'll come to the analysis, but it means shaking, right? Zel also means to slip. So the imagery of, is of this person who is trying to stand and he's slipping and he's falling. And then the earth, he's slipping, why? Because the earth is shaking. Tries to stand up again, the earth shakes, he slips and he falls. Right? And that's what earthquakes are like, right? There, there's a moment of shaking and then a moment of silence, a pause. Moment of shaking, moment of silence. And this is why Allah in another place describes the day of judgment, uh, the state of the people, especially the disbelievers, will be as if they are sukara, as if they're drunk. Right? Because they keep falling, just like a drunk man, you know, he barely can stand up because the earth is shaking. Okay? And then another interesting word that's repeated in the surah is this concept of athqal. Later on, Allah says, Mithqal, Mithqal, Athqal. So er, earlier on, Allah says, this earth will expose or reveal its Athqal, its weights, and we'll talk about it later on. But then also, it's referred to later on, Mithqal and Mithqal for the weight of the deeds. The weight of the good deeds and the weight of bad deeds. And the third important word to pay attention to is, Amal. يعمل. Earlier on, Allah says, they will see their deeds, right? And then whoever does amal of good and whoever does amal of bad. So three times the word amal is mentioned. Okay? So just some three things to keep in mind. What are they? I forgot. What's the first word? Zilzal. And second one? Athqal. And the third one? Amal. Very good. So everyone's awake. Alhamdulillah. So let's get right into it. Allah subhanahu starts off or before we get into it, very interesting thing to also look at, and this is something that you know the Islahi and the Farahi school of thought were masters in, and and basically connecting surahs and ideas together. So they they looked at the Quran on a holistic level, not just on the surah level, not just on the ayah level, but on the group level. So they used to group surahs together, and uh, you know for those of you who know Urdu, Tadabbur al-Quran is one of the books I recommend to read because it really highlights these groups, and so. You know, according to their school of thought, they believe that these four surahs from Surah 99 till 102, which which is basically Zalzala, Adiyat, Qari'ah, and Takatha, this is one group okay, that complete each other. Which makes also revelation and the order of the surahs in the Quran divine. You know, the fact that these surahs are ordered this way in the Mus'haf. If you open the Mus'haf, they're ordered in this way. This is not by chance. It's not just ishtihad of Sahaba or the ishtihad of the Prophet. There's actually revelation in how every surah is connected to the one after it. So if you look at Zalzal and Qara'ah, what's the common theme between the two? Can you guess? Zalzal is shaking, Qara'ah is the knocking, 
Day of Judgment, obviously, right? So both of them are talking about the Day of Judgment. What's interesting is that each one of these two surahs is followed by... So on one, on one hand, you have Al-Adiyat, which is, which is the surah that follows Zalzala, and then you have Al-Takathir that follows Al-Qari'ah. Both Al-Adiyat and Takathir also have a common theme. This world, yeah, exactly. So materialism, greed, specifically greed. Takathir is about accumulating more and more and more and more. And Al-Adiyat, the highlight is, He's ungrateful. And he, he loves the worldly, materialistic, you know, he has this attachment to the beauties of this world. And so, basically what's happening here in these four surahs, in a very easy and simple way to understand this, is that Allah is highlighting a disease in our hearts, which is greed, which is love for this, the, the beauty, the temporary beauty of this world, right? There's nothing wrong with loving the, and enjoying the beauties of the world. But when this beauty distracts you from akhirah, that's where it becomes a problem. See? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a, a beautiful balance. That yes, enjoy the beauties of this world, of course, to the limits that you're allowed. But balance it out with the reminder of akhirah. Which world, what world are we living in today? It's the world where there's excessive love of dunya, excessive love of materialism, excessive uh, love of takathur, accumulation of more and more and more, accumulation of more money, accumulation of more uh, you know, fame, more followers on Facebook, more likes, more bags, more shoes, more promotions, right? More children, bigger house, nicer cars, more cars. So we're just accumulating more and more and more love of dunya, and it has distracted us from akhirah. And so the Qur'an balance, balances this out. Right? The Qur'an is a beautiful book of balance, which teaches us to not forget Akhirah. And this also highlights another very, very important point. That, you know, many could argue that choosing a topic like Surah Al-Zalzala for a, for a weekly Qur'an session, maybe it's not the need of the hour. Maybe we need to talk about surahs that, you know, attract people to Islam and maybe we should talk about more positive things about Islam rather than day of judgment and scaring people away, right? But I would argue on the contrary that we are, uh, the times we live in, we're in more need of such reminders, right? Because it's something that is rarely talked about in our day-to-day -day activity. Like, just look at your week. Just try to study your entire week. How many times are you reminded of the day of judgment in your work gatherings or family gatherings. Who talks about the Day of Judgment over samosas and pakoras? Not many people, right? And so we need to balance it out. And, and that's what the Qur'an does. And we've got to be fair with the Qur'an, right? We can't censor out certain topics of the Qur'an. And the other thing is, just amma, like, subhanAllah, Allah's wisdom that He chose the main topics of the last surahs of the Qur'an, which are the most commonly surahs that we read in our salah, right? Most of them talk about the Day of Judgment. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose for us the shortest reminders of the Day of Judgment because He knows we're going to recite these surahs in our salawat. And so we need these reminders. We need reminders of the Day of Judgment to keep us in check, to keep us you know, reminded of that day. And wallahi, we live in those times today where people are rejecting these ideas. I'm talking about Muslims who reject the idea of Day of Judgment. You know? clear out the same arguments that the Quraysh used to bring, they're, they're bringing these out now, right? And so, 
the way Allah speaks about so explicitly the Day of Judgment, it's really um, amazing how Allah makes it so clear that this day is coming, but yet people are denying it. And we live, we're living in those times. So it's essential to keep, to be fair with the Qur'an and to be fair with the message of the Qur'an and not to filter out certain surahs and certain topics of the Qur'an. Okay? Because again, you can't run away from the Day of Judgment. It's right there in Surah Al-Fatiha. Who can tell me where it is, where is it in Surah Al-Fatiha? Maliki al-Biddin. Exactly, right? So even if you, let's say, skip the ayat of uh, you know, surahs like Zalzala and Qara'a, you're reciting it every day in your salah. It's 17 times a day minimum. We're supposed to be reminded of that balance. Yes, Allah is Rahman Rahim, but He's also Maliki al-Biddin. So don't try to take advantage of His mercy and uh, balance it out, right? So, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إذا زلزلت الأرض زلزالها. Now, إذا is an interesting word because it highlights the fact that when, which means it's not a, it's not a matter of if the earth will shake or not. It's about when. So it's it's just it's coming. It's just a matter of when. إذا زلزلت الأرض زلزالها. And Allah uses the passive form of زلزلت. Allah doesn't say that the, Allah will shake the earth. He says, when the, eighth, when the earth shakes by itself, which means what? It's a super easy task for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the earth to shake. It's not like a big task for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? For us, we think that shaking the earth is a big deal, right? It requires a tremendous effort. But for Allah, it's just, He just uses a passive form. When the earth shakes. And Allah here highlights also the fact that Zilzalaha, he associates the shaking to the earth, which means one way of looking at this is the earth was created to shake. And it's waiting for the green light from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do what it's supposed to do. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the earth and zilzal belongs to the earth. Zilzalaha means that this shaking, this nature of shaking is an attribute of the earth. But who's holding it back? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has... Basically, it's like this pause button, right? Or like, you know, Allah says that the jibal are awtad, that the mountains are pegs that are holding this earth together. And what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment to the mountains? Yeah, they'll be, they turn into cotton. They'll start like basically turning into dust. You see them, whether the jibal is suyira, they start walking, which means what? There are no more pegs. Therefore, the earth gets unleashed to do what it was created to do, which is this idea of zilzal. And notice the, the word even like zalzal. Zalzal, right? There's this uh, in the in the tone and the the sounds also. There's this feeling of horror, right? Zalzal, 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 and repetition. Zalzal means repetition also. So zam and lam, zain and lam are repeated, and the word is mentioned twice to basically give this, you know, strong reminder to the. The people who are oblivious to the Akhirah. Strong reminder to those who are in the, this ghafla, this heedlessness, this forgetfulness of this reality that it is going to come whether you like it or not. إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا And Allah says, and as it shakes, the earth, and Allah highlights the word earth again. He could have said, وَأَخْرَجَتْ أَثْقَالَهَا when the earth shakes and gets all of its weights out. But why did you repeat Ard again? To remind us that this earth is going to take out its athqal 
which in one way is highlighting this idea that again the earth is carrying so much burden athqal one of its meanings is burden right from thiqal something that's weighs something that's heavy and you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like later on will tell us that the earth was a witness and it's going to expose all the secrets all the you know information all the actions of humanity are are basically stored in earth and because of the multitude bad deeds that are stored in the earth, the earth can't handle it anymore. So think of the earth like this pregnant lady that's in her ninth month and she can't wait to basically, you know, just release all this burden, get the baby out, basically. It's been waiting so long to release these burdens out. And that, that's what it's waiting to do. And when, when the time comes, that's when it releases. Right? Athqal, these burdens filled with sins. Another way of looking at this is athqal is the, you know, different way, waitings of different people. Because we will be buried underground also. And what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment? We're, our ruhs are going to reconnect with our bodies and we're going to come back out. And so every single one of us, every single one of us has a weight in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and no one can judge what the other's weight is. And what will determine the weight? It's basically our a'mal, our good deeds. That's why, you know, this idea of judging others and criticizing others and backbiting and, you know, humiliating and, you know, basically insulting others is such a big crime right and Allah says which is really interesting this word because mutaffifin are people who you know they don't give the right weightings yes it's used in trade when you're like selling a kilo of tomatoes but you give less than a kilo just to cheat a bit it can also be used when it comes to dealing with people and you know Giving people the, their due weights. What do mutaffifin do? Mutaffifin, like let's say a man has a good reputation. What does a mutaffif do? He's, he tries to spoil his reputation in public. He tries to lower his image. Tries to spread false rumors about such certain people. Why? To bring down their weight in the eyes of the public. So Allah says, wail to these people. The most horrific, the, the ugliest form of destruction which is the word wail, to these people who do mutafifin. So Allah will, uh, Allah is telling us that the earth will expose out these different people with different weights. Some people will have light weights, some people will have heavy weights. The people of good deeds, we learn from Surah Al-Qara'a also, the people with good deeds, they will be the winners, they will be people with heavy weights. As for those who have light weights, they will be people who, maybe they've done a lot of good deeds, but their bad deeds supersede their good deeds, or they've done a lot of bad deeds, and so they will have no weight. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes this idea also in Surah Al-Kahf, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Shall I tell you of those who are the biggest losers? Those who are the biggest losers. Who are these people? Those people who Whatever deeds they did in this world, it just took them off track. This is scary. They thought all, the, all those good deeds were good, like things that would benefit them. 
Allah says that such people, they think that they're doing so many amazing good deeds, but on that day, Allah says these are the worst, biggest losers. So those deeds are worth nothing. Okay? So Just as something to think about, right? What is, ask yourself, what is my weight in front of the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We sometimes get so obsessed and concerned about our weight in society. Right? My title in society, my reputation among people, among my friends, among my family, among my you know, work. But what weight really matters? It's really the weight of, the true weight of our iman, the true weight of our taqwa, the, the weight of the, the heart, the cleanliness of the heart in front of, the, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is ultimately what matters. And so, you know, just ask yourself this question. Am I really happy with my weight? And you know, like even physically speaking, we check our physical weight, like those of you who are into weight loss, we regularly check our weight, we check our waistline, we make sure we're eating good food and exercising. But check, check, yani, do a, like a spiritual weight check also. And we wish we had like spiritual uh, scales, right? To check our iman levels. We don't have those. This is all in the unseen. Um, but seriously, just, you know, it's a good exercise to just think about where am I? How is my iman level out of 10? Am I happy with my weight? You know, uh, some scholars say that, you know, you know your weight by the, like if there's seven days in a week, ask yourself how many fajrs have you woken up during, during the week, right? If it's seven out of seven, then alhamdulillah, you're, you're up there, especially nowadays with fajr being really early. Um, but again, yani, I don't want to limit it to just Fajr, okay? Because some people pray Fajr, but they're corrupt in their business, and so that's not really just the only measure. But you can think of your own way. Maybe one way of uh, discovering, you know, your weight is ask your wife, like, you know, how your character is. She's the one who knows you the best, right? Or ask your mother, or you know, ask your employees. These are the people who really know, you know, who you are and how you treat them. Or ask your housemate to give you a weight out of ten. You know? And then Allah says, And the insan will say, what's wrong with it? So here, and I've said this earlier on, on, insan refers to who? Someone who's oblivious, someone who's forgetful. So usually the word insan is used in the negative sense in the Quran. Right? It's not really usually praised, this word, insan. Even in Surah Al-Asr, Al-Asr, inna al-insana lafi khusr. So insan is like, you can think of it, the lowest of humanity. Right? So you don't want to aim to be an insan, please. Aim to be like Bashar, aim to be Banu Adam. Right? Don't aim to be insan, because insan is like the lowest forgetful person who's attached to the worldly life. So this insan, now he's out of this grave. And he's asking, what's wrong with this earth? Why is it shaking? Why, why are these athqal coming out? What's happening? What's going on? He's in a shock. As for the believers, when they come out, what do you think their reaction is going to be? Yeah, they were expecting this all along, right? They, they knew it all along and they're ready for it. They were prepared for it. They you know, are expecting the angels to give them you know, a good escorting to their you know, shade. And there will be VIP treatment for them. So it's not going to be a horrific day for the believers. 
Okay, something we need to be also aware of. Because sometimes in the discourse of you know day of judgment, usually usually it's all about fear, 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 even for the believers, which is not, not fair, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not make the believers go through that fear just like that. Just for the sake of Yes, he will expose you to the hellfire, as we've seen in earlier surahs, right? And Allah says, and even in um, another surah, Allah says, وَإِن مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا That every single one of us is going to see the hellfire, right? And he will make us see it just so we can appreciate the, the gift of being saved from it, right? So that's actually a favor in disguise. وَقَالَ الْإِنسَانُ مَالَا He's going to say, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this earth? And then Allah says, يَوْمَ إِذَنْ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا On that day, this earth will start, تُحَدِّث means it will start giving news. It will start bringing new news. And hadith means news that's new. So for a lot of people, a lot of news that was unknown will, will be revealed. Especially for those of you who are into politics and conspiracy theories, on that day all the secrets of the world will be revealed. All the mysteries, you know, there are certain documentaries, unsolved mysteries, like who was behind 9-11. It would be revealed. You could, you, you'd get all the details of all the criminals, exactly what they did. No fake news, no filtration, none of that. You'll get the facts from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? يَوْمَ إِذَنْ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا Who did match-fixing, who didn't? You know, were those scandals true or not? <laughs> All the details will be revealed. So it's as if this earth is it's already storing all of these deeds, right? And if you think about it, like when, when criminals do commit a crime, what do they look out for? Usually it's like surveillance cameras, like right? they look around, are there any cameras or not? They look around, is, are there any people around, is the door locked? But no one really looks down and says, uh oh, this earth is going to record this crime I'm about to commit, right? And so here Allah is reminding us in a, in a physical way that that earth, remember it's repeated twice, that earth is going to shake. And that earth is going to reveal and, and all these athqal are going to come out. So don't be forgetful. Don't be oblivious to the fact that this earth is going to be recording everything you're going to do. And here Allah is not saying that we will speak. Because on the Day of Judgment we will not be allowed to speak. Except whoever is given permission. So what will speak on our behalf? Here we're learning the earth will speak. In another place in the Quran, Allah says, our body parts will speak on our behalf, right? Our tongues will speak. And they will, you know, expose whatever good or bad we said. Our eyes will speak, whatever good or bad we saw. Our hands will speak, our feet will speak. And all our body parts will speak and we will not be allowed to speak. يَوْمَ إِذَنْ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا and then Allah says, Allah will actually give wahi to the earth to speak. Allah is talking to the Prophet ﷺ, he's saying, Your master, your Rabb, your caretaker is giving wahi to this earth to speak, to reveal its, its secrets. And then Allah says, Yawma idhan, on that day, Yasdur nasu ashtatan liyuraw a'mala. On that day, people will be dispersed into groups. Ashtatan. Okay? And yasdur is an interesting word. Yasdur is a temporary stop that you've already been to. Okay? 
So it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us that this life was a temporary stop and we died and we came back to life and now you're, you're basically gathering temporarily in the Day of Judgment and then you're going to be going off to your final destination either in Jannah or Jahannam. And so Yastar is a temporary stop. It was used for Musa salam when he was uh, helping the two girls, remember, in Madian, right? Yasdurur Ra'a, the girls said. That we're waiting for these people to finish getting the water. Wa Abuna Shaykhun Kabir, right? And our father is an old man. So Yastur is describing this temporary stop where you're getting water or whatever. You're not there for, forever. So Allah is saying these people will be gathered together in a temporary stop. Ashtatan, in groups. For what? What purpose? Liyurau a'malam. So that they may be, for themselves, they will see their deeds. Liyurau a'malam. So, what is this grouping all about? One way to look at this is that, you know, through our lifetimes, we have certain groups that we become associated with. Like, let's say, for example, in the, uh, for all the criminals, there's different kinds of groups for different criminals. There's criminals who are experts, like in bank robberies. They'll be grouped together. The criminals who, you know, uh, political criminals, those who do corruption, they will be gathered together in one group. Those who do economic crimes will be in another group. Those who do, uh, you know, moral crimes, shamelessness, those who spread fahisha and shamelessness, they will be in another group themselves. People who, you know, commit riba, they will be in another group themselves. People who used to do commit, commit backbiting and, um, you know, the sins of the tongue, they will be grouped together. The, 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 the people who didn't take care of their parents will be grouped together. All of these different crimes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to group them together. And the same goes for the good deeds. So the people of Qur'an will be grouped together. The people who used to fast regularly will be together. The people who take, took care of the orphans and the, and the poor people, they'll be grouped together. The people who used to you know, fast regularly will be grouped together. The people who used to give charity will be grouped together. And so, you know, we need to, again, analyze and ask ourselves, which group do we want to be part of on that day? Right? Which group are, am I in now? And do I want to be with this group? Because the Prophet also tells us in the context of looking out for good company or bad company, like your friends, for your circles, the Prophet warned us, like, watch out for who you hang out with because you will be raised with those who you love. Right? And you will be on the deen of those who you hang out with. That the human being is on the deen of his group. So watch out who you hang out with. So asking ourselves this question, which group do I want to be on? You know? Which group do I want to be a part of on that day, inshallah? And we have this hadith of the, the seven who Allah will, will uh, you know, cover on the, on his, under his shade, right? I don't remember all of them. I remember a couple of them. Maybe you guys can help me out. There was one who his heart was attached to the masjid, right? And there were two brothers who used to love each other and meet only for Allah's sake and depart for Allah's sake. Can anyone remind me? Just ruler, Imam and Adil. Yes, and he, he is able to control his temptation, exactly. And there's three more others, inshallah, we could Google it up, inshallah. Ask Sheikh Google and he will give it to you. So that's another motivation, you know, I want to be part of this group or that group. 
and um, like even Jannah, there's certain abwab like Rayyan is the bab where only people who used to fast regularly will go through that bab. So Allah motivates us through this grouping thing, right? Even in um, Surah Al-Waqi'ah, He describes Ashab Al-Yameen and then As-Sabiqoon, right? Those who were like always in the forefront. They were always aiming to for the A+. Then you have Ashab Al-Shimal. They always have these groups and you know Allah is motivating us to be with you know, people who you want to be with, inshallah, on the day of judgment. Day of judgment. And here, you know, let's pause and talk about amal, this idea of amal, because it's going to come up again twice. So, f- for our amal to have weight on the day of judgment, there's two criteria that need to be f- fulfilled. Can anyone guess what they are? Yes, intention number one. That's why I said this surah is, is like a complementary surah to ikhlas. Ikhlas was all about purifying your intentions. And we talked about the fact that in surah al-ikhlas, just to refresh, ikhlas means 100% for Allah, 0% for myself. If, if it's 95% for Allah, 5% for me, there, there's shirk there, right? And so, can you imagine this? For our a'mal to be counted and accepted by Allah, ikhlas is a, is a condition. If you want that thiqal, that wasn't on your a'mal, ikhlas has to be there 100%. And the second one, can anyone guess what that is? Hmm? Ikhlas and ittiba'. Okay, so following the, the way of the Prophet ﷺ, right? So you can't say, oh, I have ikhlas, I'm going to be praying Maghrib, but inshallah I'll pray four rak'ah today because I have too much ikhlas today. Mm-hmm. You can't do that, right? you got to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So it's, it's this balance. And subhanAllah, you know, some ulama say that the central ayah of Fatiha summarizes these two. Iyaka na'bud highlights the ikhlas part and Iyaka nasta'in highlights the fact that we need Allah's help to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, to follow his way of life. So it's a beautiful balance between the two. And so, لِيُرَوْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ And you know, sometimes, like, we tend to focus, like, Quran talks about amal a lot. لَذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ آمَنُوا Like, iman and amal come together. So, at al-asr, amal is one of your key ingredients to succeed, right? You don't have amal, you fail, right? So, you know, with all due respect to some, you know, traditions and narrations where sometimes, like, we are told that your amal is not that important. It is Allah's rahmah that's important. Of course, we all need Allah's rahmah, right? But amal is a big deal in the Quran. And sometimes, like when we highlight the fact that amal is not important, it's your niyyah and, you know, just uh, Allah's rahmah is enough. What happens to people? They become complacent. We start becoming lazy. We start getting into this comfort zone where we think that, you know what? Amal or no amal, inshallah, you know, Allah will take care of us. The Prophet Shafa'a will take care of us. And we start becoming lazy. But amal is a big deal. Okay? But then again, what is amal? Right? And especially when it comes to good deeds. We think of amal, like when you think of amal salih, what comes to mind? First thing. Salah, right? I'm guessing. It's one of the top things. Salah comes to mind. Reading Quran comes to mind, maybe. Being good to parents. Yeah? 
These are amal salihah. And so we, we tend to kind of link amal salih with religious good deeds. Whereas amal salih could be you smiling to your neighbor, right? Or, you know, the, the traffic light is green, but an old woman is passing by. Legally, you can go, but you stop by to let the old woman pass across the road. That's amal salih also, right? So amal salih is not necessarily linked to Islamic deeds, right? Like reading Quran and dua. Of course, all of these are amazing deeds and they have a lot of weight. But amal salih is very, very general. You, by you inventing, I don't know, like a device that helps people uh, make their people's lives easier. If you like develop an app that helps people, uh, I don't know, do something in a faster, easier way. That's amal salih. The salih literally means something that fixes a problem in society. Something that makes life easy for others, right? And the opposite of salah is fasad. So by you doing amal salih, you're actually making this world a better place. You're contributing in a positive way, right? So amal salih, an amal in general is very, very broad. So coming to the end and the conclusion, فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهَا And then later on, وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًّا يَرَهَا First Allah talks about Tiny, 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 tiny. Dharra literally means like a, an atom. And another, some of us say dharra is like, you know how sometimes you, you go out in the sun and you see like these small particles, right? That's also called dharra. And if I did this and there was like a, a laser light or something, we could probably see it in front of the projector. You see the small dust particles, that's also called dharra. So that's what Allah is referring to here. The weight of that tiny piece of dust or atom will be seen on that day by the person who did it. And Allah, out of His Rahmah, He started off with the positive deeds. Right? Which is, He's starting off with positive reinforcement to encourage us. So what is this referring to? Whoever does an atom's weight of good will see it on that day. Because, you know, sometimes, like, especially nowadays, we're living in those times where we measure our deeds by how many likes we have right we measure our deeds by how many followers we have we measure our deeds by how many and how loud the clap is by how many fans come to you later on to take selfies and by how much praise you get from people by how much appreciation you get from people by how much you get acknowledged for your deeds but Allah is saying relax every single thing you're doing that's good you will see it. Right? There's no doubt about it. And so what does this do to the believer? It's a sigh of relief that it's okay. Even if nobody's appreciating what I do, Allah's, Allah's guaranteeing that I will see it. Allah's guaranteeing that, you know, maybe that day you went to the masjid and you, don't, you have nothing in your pocket but a hundred fills and you gave it. That is, that is something that you will see on that day also. There's no like big deeds will be seen and the minor deeds will be like sidelined. No, every single small deed, every single smile you give to someone, every single good word you said to someone, every single good act you did will be seen on that day. So this removes that tension and that burden of I want to be appreciated by people. I want to be noticed by people. I want to be you know, respected by people and acknowledged by people. Because who do we need to seek appreciation from only? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what ikhlas is. Right? Who do we want our deeds to be noticed by? Allah. 
And if Allah sees them, then that's enough. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهَ And you know, another thing here that, um, you know, we sometimes get obsessed with doing great things, grand things, right? We want to do big projects, leaving a big legacy behind, and we neglect the small things, right? So someone is like working on this huge project and to save the ummah and to save his country, and he's not spending time with his children at home. He's not spending time with his wife. He's not, you know, spending time with his mom. Or he's not going to the gym and taking care of his health. He's getting sick all the time. Right? So sometimes these small deeds, we fall out of balance in the pursuit of big things, which is shaitan, by the way. Shaitan makes you sometimes pursue big things to mess up your duties. Yeah, and, and you fall off balance and it creates problems. You have marriage problems. You have problems with your family. Children go off track. Why? Because you're pursuing these grand visions and you're always traveling and you're always just dreaming and thinking about your project, right? Which becomes a distraction. So Allah is saying, pay attention to the small things. Don't underestimate the small things. Whatever little thing you can do, do it. You know, and <laughs> another thing that shaitan sometimes does is he makes us delay doing small things for bigger things. Allah is saying, no, no, no. Whatever you can do now, do it now. Right? And subhanAllah, something I reflected on recently in Surah Al-Kahf, you know when Allah subhanahu says, Do not say to anything that you're going to do, that I will do it tomorrow. The ayah stops there. And then Allah says, Illa an Allah, Except if Allah wills. You know how like we're supposed to say, Insha'Allah, tomorrow I will buy ice cream for my kids. Insha'Allah, tomorrow I will go to the gym. That's one way of looking at it. But why did Allah stop at this idea of do not say I will do that tomorrow. Stop. The ayah stops. Yeah, so Allah does not want us to, to talk about doing anything tomorrow. He's not interested in that. Do something today or shut up, basically. Don't talk about tomorrow. Right? So sometimes we get obsessed about like planning and detailed like you know visioning and objectives and five-year goals and ten-year goals and you know one-year goals and all that and i teach this stuff you know ironically yeah? but what allah is telling us now is that um no do what you can now which is teaching us to be present right being uh, being in the now being present appreciating the moment because if your if your mind is always in the future you're constantly just your mind is just Busy, busy, busy. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll get this, I'll do that. What are you not appreciating? The food that's yeah, the food that's on your plate, you're not appreciating it. You're not appreciating your your child is saying, Baba, Baba, look at me, I want I can do a cartwheel, I can do and you you're not interested. Why are you thinking about your vision? So you miss out on these beautiful moments around you, which make us more grateful people. You know? And that is what that is what we're realizing here is that yani, and another thing here is amal. A lot of people think amal is physical. Right? Amal means I have to go and you know buy uh, you know cartons of milk and distribute to poor people. And that is amal when I sweat and I use my hands to do it. Right? This is a, this is a notion out there, right? That amal is something that you have to do physically. In fact, by you just you know appreciating 
the food that's on your table, isn't that also a, a form of amal? Absolutely. It's amal dhihni, it's called, right? It's amal with your thoughts. Sometimes by having good thoughts, just by reflecting on Allah's creation, that could be a good amal. You're spending your time. So amal is linked to time more than effort. And if you, if you think about it also from a worldly sense, right? You look out the our brothers who are, you know, working in the building and construction field, right? They are the hardest working people, right, in the society. Physically, no one's working harder than them, especially in the heat that we have today, right? And who's working the least? It's the CEO and the chairman at the top, right? But who's getting paid more? Yeah, the CEO for playing golf, for having dinners and networking and drinking chai and reading news getting paid the most. Whereas the hardest working people are the least paid in the society. So what we're learning, learning here is also this idea of working hard versus working smart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be smart at uh, like how we work, right? It's not just about hard work. It's about smart, being smart. What will give me the maximum return for, of investment for my time? Right, and so that's why the Prophet also describes the Sahaba as, uh, you know, businessmen when it comes to niyas and intention. They used to constantly like make sure that the intention is the maximum for whatever deed they did. Okay, so one one deed you're doing, you you link it to multiple intentions. So intention is everything, really. The Prophet said, and this is the first hadith in every hadith book. Open up Bukhari, Muslim. They all start with this hadith. Deeds are verily with the intentions. And so, you know, even if your dream is to, for example, you know, build a masjid one day or whatever, right? You have that niyyah, you're working towards it, you're saving up 100 fills every day, inshallah it will be recorded for you, right? Small deeds will be counted for. And another way that to look at this is that deeds are weighed according to the person's like deeds are relative or weight, weightings are relative. So for example, there's a fundraiser going on and a person writes a check for $50,000 and another and everyone says, Takbir, Allahu Akbar, and everybody's excited. Then someone says, I will donate. They ask him, how much? $20. And you hear one tak takbir, right? Like a small takbir and people aren't right. <laughs> but that person who gave $20, maybe all he has in his wallet is $100. So he gave 25% of his wealth. Whereas the person who wrote 50,000 check, he's probably a millionaire. So relatively speaking, who has a higher weight in front of Allah? The one who gave a $20, right? And so, again, yani, we should not be people who judge people's weights. Because Allah knows the weights. Allah knows the intentions. He knows the weights. And so we should be never ever in a situation where we judge people. We also learn learn the like the beauty of the system of Allah weighing things, right? Which is something that we ne will never understand. So in the hadith, it's, it's mentioned that a prostitute who fed, you know, a, a cat or a dog, I think, right? Some milk or water. With that act, she entered paradise. Can you imagine this? Just SubhanAllah, let's take that story and link it to this ayah. It'll make sense to you. In our, in our comprehension as human beings, we can never understand how that works, right? How is it possible that for just for feeding an animal, she goes to Jannah? But this is what Allah's weighing system is like, right? Because we don't know her intention in that moment. 
We don't know what she was thinking about. We don't know the state of her heart. What do we see? We just see external things. We see the mini skirt and we see the makeup and all that and we start judging. Whereas Allah's teaching us to this that, you know, leave the scales to me. Let me measure. You be concerned about your own deeds. Don't be concerned about other people's deeds. So every single word that we say to someone to hurt them. And I would argue even thoughts are, like if you have negative thoughts, negative assumptions, if you think highly of yourself, right? You're giving these negative thoughts here. Those are also considered as bad deeds, right? Because what is dhan? Dhan is a thought, right? Allah subhanahu wa says, um, you're in ithm. Even the slightest bit of assumption in Surah Al-Hujurat is ithm. It's a bad deed. If you assume something negative about someone, you see your friend, you see some uh, smoke coming out of a friend's car, you assume he's smoking cigarettes, but you find out he's putting bukhur in the car. Right? Assumption, that's a sin. You just assume something wrong. And, and we all know the, the punishment for assuming that a couple has committed zina without four witnesses. Right? Allah has protected even the zani and zaniya where there's no four witnesses uh, with 80 lashes for anyone who comes up with like an accusation. Even if you've seen it yourself and you don't have four witnesses, you're in trouble. 80 lashes for you, right? And so, just assuming, and this is something that Surah Al-Hujurat is like, you're talking about all the time, right? Like from the beginning, we learn about this idea of, you know, tongue, tongue, tongue. How? Watch your tongue. Watch what you say. Surah Al-Nur about this false accusation of Aisha anha, you know that Allah she committed you know adultery with this, with another man what happened there was a fitna in the society and people started having these assumptions what if it was true what if she really did it did she really do it and this gossip and scandals and people spreading false rumors which is so common in our times right so so common in our gathering so common on whatsapp so common you just think of it as like a small message but no that message has a weight Right? It's not just what you say with your tongue now, it's, it's what you text also. Watch what you text. Watch what you post on social media. Watch what you upload on social media. You know, you, you uploaded one video, but if hundreds of thousands of people watch that, and it's a bad video, and it gets forwarded and shared, that's, so you know like how like, like sadaqa jariya is a good thing? There's another concept of sayyat jariyat also. You upload one bad you know, a video of yourself. And singers who, like, repent, they really have a tr tough time. You know, like, you know, uh, singers, especially female singers who've been, like, living that, uh, you know, immoral life before they become, like, into Islam. They have a tough time. Why? Because they have to start, they have to hire, like, employees to start deleting all those videos that they have online and all the movies they came into because you know, that's their history, right? It's recorded. So, Watching out for those small things, watching out for the thoughts, watching out for the tongue. You know, sometimes when you think of, especially in the bad deeds, let's talk about the bad deeds. We, when you think about bad deeds, what comes to mind? First of all, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm curious to know. Alcohol, songs, adultery, bad deeds, murder. Money in a bad way, like cheating and money, yeah. So what doesn't come to mind? Like 
Backbiting doesn't come to mind usually, right? Insulting doesn't come to mind. Saying oof to your parents doesn't come to mind, right? Um, small, small things that we think are small, but on the scales of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are very, very heavy, right? وَيْلٌ Every single action that you do to insult others and you know mock others with your either with your facial gesture, with your eyes, with your eyebrows, with your tongue, every single one. Kulli humazatin lumaza. Alright? And uh, so you know the, what the Quran does it 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 makes that scale clear for us. But the more distant you are from the Quran, the more disconnected you are from the Quran, you're going to put the scales that society puts as a scale. You're going to put the scales of, uh, okay, alcohol, adultery, uh, riba, and of course these are, these are pretty big sins, right? But there are other sins also out there. So one exercise I would recommend you all to do, inshallah, is like, uh, and this is something that my teacher recently gave me as a homework, right? Is... Go back to the Qur'an, right from the beginning. Maybe there's a project you can work on for the next year, right? Depending on how much Qur'an you read every week or every day. Get a, buy a new notebook, okay? And start writing down all the things that you're supposed to do. Like as you're reading, right? You come across ayat that tell you to do certain things, that will give you plus marks, and ayat that will tell you not to do certain things, right? So have a page for to do and a page for not to do. And just start applying those in your life, like one by one, as they come along, right? The commands to do and the commands not to do. Wallahi, your life will start transforming, right? Because now you're seeking guidance from Allah through the Qur'an for what to do, what not to do. And inshallah, that will be an ongoing journey for you. So then you have your reference for you, right? And you're applying it as you go along. So, وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًّا يَرَهُ Whoever does a small act you know, an atom's weight of bad deed, shar, yara. Now the question is, what is shar? And what is khair? Who decides what is khair, what is shar? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides, right? So that's, that's another reason why I'm saying going back to the Qur'an is your ultimate guide. Because what someone says is shar isn't necessarily a shar according to the Qur'an, right? Or what someone says is good isn't necessarily good according to the Qur'an. So what is our guide? It's the Qur'an. So, and, and shar isn't necessarily, like, it's different than haram, right? Shar is very different than haram. Uh, and this is different between morality and law. There's a big difference between morality and law. Law means, I gave the example of the old woman, right? The law says when the traffic light is green, you go. But the old woman can barely walk and she's maybe blind or whatever morality says what you stop and let her go even if people around you are honking beep, 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 you stop okay now if someone says no 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 nowhere in the quran does it say smile to your brother so i don't have to smile ya akhi. right they're just doing actions based on legalities that that's not that's not what islam is promoting islam is promoting uh, like a moral code, right? It's not just about halal and haram. If you look at the Quran and the ayat of halal and haram in the Quran, like someone once did a research, it's like 7% of the Quran. 
7% of the Qur'an, if you look at all the ayat, 6,000 plus ayat, 7% of those are dealing with things that you, sh like halal and haram we're talking about. Not good and bad, halal and haram. What about the remaining 93% of the Qur'an? What is that talking about? Morality, right? What's good, what's bad? Khair and shar. And so, another thing that we, another box we have to come out of as an ummah, we have to come out of the halal haram box and come into the good and bad box, right? What's good, what's bad? Because in the moral guidelines, so many things are casually done. Like, you know, a mother-in-law would, would bother her, you know, daughter-in-law, especially in our cultures, right? It happens a lot. 90% of, of marriage problems are in-laws related. You guys agree to that or no? Yes? And, uh, you know, there are no clear instructions in the Quran about do this, it's haram, do this, it's halal. It's, it's a, a concept of morality, right? What, how do I deal with someone else? Do I hurt someone with my, with my words? Am I insulting this person? Am I degrading this person? Am I making her feel uncomfortable or not? So this is where these scales come into place. Like, yani wallahi, these two ayat in the conclusion of the surah teach us what taqwa really is about, right? Because what is taqwa? Taqwa is being, protect, being protective and being cautious. And Umar was one asked, what is taqwa? He said, taqwa is, imagine this room filled with thorns and you trying to walk safely in the midst of these thorns, right? How would you walk? Would you walk casually? You would be careful about every single step, right? Making sure that you don't do anything wrong. And that is really what a muttaqi is. Someone who's careful of every single small bad deed that could cause harm to others, it could cause harm to yourself, it could cause harm, to, you know, in whatever uh, scale possible. Being cautious. And sometimes we get obsessed with like, ah, oh, this is just a saghira, brother. It's okay, I'll do it. Right? So we have the kaba'ar and saghar. So we stay away from the kaba'ar and saghar, it's okay, you know. And inshallah, al qadr, I will wipe them away, inshallah, right? But, um, you know, we need to be aware of the idea that Allah here is saying every single small deed is we're going to see it right? we're going to see it and so uh, istighfar is a big deal here right? the way to delete and wipe our sins out is through istighfar and tawbah which is something that we got to be doing regularly and Allah says innal hasanat good deeds replace bad deeds and just to remind you okay, and, and so the qara'at will become even more clear that the scales on the Day of Judgment is not a plus and a minus scale. That's what I remember when I was six years old. Like, you know, I was taught that good deeds, bad deeds. Whatever is more, you'll go there. If you have good deeds are more, you go to Jannah. Bad deeds are more, you go to... But what we learn from Surah Al-Qara is that this idea of ثَقُلَتْ مَوَازِينَ There are certain deeds that will make your weight heavy and certain things that will make your weight light. Which means there is only one scale. And, and the example I gave last week is like a digital scale where there's only plus, right? If there's nothing there, you're a loser. The good deeds add weight, the bad deeds remove weight, right? They lighten up the scale. And so th there's no idea, there's no concept of plus and minus, right? It's either you have plus and you're saved or you have no deeds because your deeds are wiped out. And of course, like we said, the more ikhlas, the more heavier the deed. 
So two people could be doing the same identical deed, but one has more ikhlas than the other. That deed gets more than the other. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you know, uh, make us people who inshallah uh, understand the Quran and, and try to apply it in our lives. Like, these are lessons for us for life. You see how like eight ayat and surah that all of us have memorized. And we sometimes take the Quran for granted and we think that you know, I already know the surah. Can we do some like advanced level surah like surah al-taghabun or surah al-tahrim or you know? But sometimes like these simple surahs, these short simple surahs have the most, uh, you know, or have enough reminders for us. Right? I mean, I got enough reminder for myself for today. I don't know about everyone here, but this is one of the motivations for, for teaching this stuff is, you know, by studying the surah and just reflecting on it, um, it's enough. And going back to what the Sahabi said, right? He said, Ya Rasulullah, these two ayat are enough for my life. Can you imagine this? These two ayat are enough for his life and the Prophet said, Faqihar Rajul. That's right. That man understood. So may Allah make us of people who shall apply what we learn and may he make, make our deeds on that day heavy, not light. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashadun la ilaha la ant. Nastafarakum tubuidik. Any questions before we depart for Isha? All right. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum.